man, it's been a good day. So uh, I'm going to ask Timothy King. He said, uh, Jamil told me that you had a testimony from you and him from a week or two ago. Probably should have given you some notice, but here's Timothy King's notice. Let's welcome him up here. I think you guys were out in the street doing something. Jamil, you want to help him out? There we go. I'll get you next time. Yeah, there okay. we go. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Um, you know, God puts it on my heart to love the people. You know, I love the people in here, but to love the people outside the four walls Come as on. well. And so regularly go out with friends and do things. A lot of like one-on-one stuff just in the streets, the highways and the byways. But it was maybe a month or so-ish ago where the Lord's like, I want you to actually release my word. I was like, well, what do you mean? He said, I want you to preach. And I was like, uh, um, I, I think you got somebody else for that. And here am I, like, I send Jamil. Yeah, yeah right. send yeah, Jamil. Yeah. <laughs> right. I said, are you sure? And he said, yes. And so I asked some friends and everybody was like, oh, I'm busy. I got this. I got that. They didn't, you know, different excuses. And I said, well, God, nobody wants to go with me. I said, I asked you to go. So what are you going to do? And I was like, dang. Um, so anyway, I decided I was going to do this even if it was going to be nobody else. And so I asked them where to go, you know, into a public place and super nervous. And then on Sunday, right before, you know, before I was getting ready to go, I asked Jamil, you know, if he would go with me. And he actually said yes. So <laughs> come on, Jamil. I was like, all right. So I got back up now. And so we, we went out and I was like, you know, that week I was asking the Lord, well, what to share. And so he gave me some scriptures to share and, you know, put a message in my heart to share. And some of it was just reading, reading the word. And, of course, there was no advertising for this. There was no nothing. And I was like, God, what if nobody shows up? You know, it's in a public place. But went ahead and shared. And I just believe that, you know, the word of God doesn't return void. And so as people were walking by, you know, you could see some of them maybe slow down for a little bit. Some of them sped up. They didn't want to hear anything, you know. But there was a few people that were drawn. And whenever we were kind of wrapping up, there was a lady who, who came up. And, you know, Jesus stopped for the one. And she came up, and she had come out of some stuff. I won't go into her whole story. But to see what the Lord did in her life in just a few minutes, I mean, she looked like a completely different person. It was just like the Lord rolled back 20 years on her age like that. I mean, her posture completely changed. She got set free from some stuff. She got, I believe she got healed. Hopefully the next time we see her, we'll be able to confirm that. But it was just, you know, definitely out of my comfort zone. But, um, you know. He's got the best plan, so. It's so good. Way to step out. Yes. Yeah, so First of all, actually, how many of that, that 20 years rolled back in your life? You're like, I like to hear that word, Timothy. Yeah, so I'm, I'm like, that sounds good to me. Yeah. We actually were at Goodell Park downtown Columbus at the gazebo. And I, I did not see the lady walk up to us because we were talking about what will we do differently next time because we had this handheld microphone that amplified and we were trying to figure out a really projected sound. So I didn't see her walk up. But when she walks up, she had on dark sunglasses and a backpack. We found out she said she was homeless. And we asked her, um, while we were talking about um, my turn to speak, and he was speaking, and I said, I just started talking about Jesus came for the one. Many times people talk about the multitudes, but he came for the one. And when she showed up, I said, you're the one. So I said, what can the Lord do for you? And she told us that she had a problem. She needed to overcome grief. And we said, "Um, what is your area of grief? 
And she says, I lost my son. And, we, and I said to her, well, how long ago was that? She said, 2005. So that's 18 years. That's like the woman that was bowed over 18 years. She was bowed over in her soul 18 years. Number 18 and signifies usually in the Bible bondage. So this was a time to free her from bondage. So she said she had grief, and we ministered to the grief. But she said she had neuropathy in her hands and some of her appendages. We ministered to that. And then we're praying for her. We said we come against the damage pneumonia has done to your body, to your lungs. And what did she say? She said, how do you know that? <laughs> and he says, Holy Spirit. It was an awesome day. And she literally was transfigured so good. before our eyes in Jesus' name. It was yeah. great. Yeah, God, so good. I'll figure it out, yeah. So good. We're continuing our series on Galatians, and uh, we actually got a little video to kind of help us get into the uh, Galatians story. Is this video going to be okay? Got, okay. Little Galatians. Hold on. Is that, is that me playing Ray Diani and table? Hold on. What, what's happening here? What, Ray, what, Ray serves it short. I push long. Ray pops it up. Oh, my goodness. Okay. I don't know how that got on here. I'm so embarrassed. I'm so embarrassed by this. But it does remind me we have a Zion Table Tennis Tournament this Tuesday in Plain City at 6 o'clock. So uh, bring your own paddles. we got paddles there for you. If you sign up, it'll help us kind of get some things ready together. But, man, I apologize for that. That is, that is embarrassing. So, uh, all right, are we, how are we doing? Do we need to pray again? All right, we're in a series on uh, Galatians and the Gospel of Grace. Ray knows about this. He's not here today, so uh, he was supposed to be. It would have been more fun. But anyway, so we're in a series on uh, the book of Galatians, the Gospel of Grace. And we've seen some awesome things. We've seen that God, uh, God has dealt with sin. God is no longer dealing with you based on your performance. He's dealing with you based on Jesus' performance. He became sin. And so you can come freely to the Father without guilt and condemnation. Let him love you, be loved by him. Like, it's, it's just absolutely wonderful. But there's another side to this coin. Listen, guys, we've been set free from the condemnation of sin, but God still warns against sin. Okay, just because we're under grace doesn't mean that sin isn't still stupid. Okay, let, me, let me just make it really clear. Sin is still stupid. Sin is still a bad idea. Now, sin does not change the way that God feels about you. It does change the way you feel about God. It will harden your heart. It will deceive you. Sin does not change. For the believer, sin does not change your relationship with God, but it does change your relationship with the devil. I mean, it's like shooting up a flare and letting the demonic have a free-for-all. Hey, who wants some of this? Compromise is the welcome mat to deception. It opens up a whole bunch of bad things in your life. So sin is still stupid. I remember I, I got this revelation. I, thought, I was thinking about, like, man, I was reading some different books. But I'm like, they all warn against sin and say how stupid sin is. I went through it. 27 books in the New Testament, all 27 warn against sin and tell you how stupid it is and call you to live holy. Like, like all 27. Listen, guys, we're under grace, but sin is still a bad idea. So how serious is sin? Let's look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 29. We're going to get to Galatians here in a second. Matthew chapter 5, verse 29. If your right eye causes you to stumble, no big deal, you're under grace. No, 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 that's what it says. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. What? Is this, is this Jesus, the New Testament? It is better for you, to lose, for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. 
And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Can we pull up the picture of uh, Aaron uh, Ralston? Read you the story. Here he is. Aaron Ralston. Uh, he was canoeing. Uh, he was on a uh, canoeing trip, canyoneering trip, whatever, a canyoneering trip, canyoneering trip in Blue John Canyon. A boulder dislodged, crushing his right forearm and pinning it against the canyon wall. Ralston had not told anyone of his hiking plans and knew no one would be searching for him. Assuming that he would die, he spent five days slowly sipping his small amount of remaining water while trying to extricate his arm. He eventually ran out of water and began to drink his own urine. After five days of trying to lift and break the boulder, Ralston prepared to cut off his already dead arm by levering it against a chalk stone, which snapped the radius and the ulna bones. Using the dull blade of his multi-use tool, he cut the soft tissue around the break. He then used the tool's pliers to tear at the tougher tendons. <laughs> After freeing himself, he had to rappel down a 65-foot sheer wall, then hike out of the canyon. While hiking out, he encountered a family on vacation who alerted the authorities. He was ultimately rescued by a helicopter search team. Now, I know what you Zioneers are thinking. Let's pray for his arm to grow back. Listen, I love the way you're thinking. That's awesome. Like, like I'm there too. But um, that's not the point of this sermon. Look at verse 30 again. And if your right hand caused you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. What's Jesus trying to say? Why such strong language? All right? I mean, most of us, we believe that avoiding sin is, is important. Right? But um, are we sure that it's that important? Is it like chop off your arm kind of important? And this wasn't like a one-time thing for Jesus. Let's look at Matthew 18, verse 6. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Okay? Is anyone noticing a theme here? Why does Jesus feel the need to point out such horrible word pictures of, uh, of sustaining sin? We're under grace. Like, God's not dealing with us based on our performance. Um, well, Jim, Jesus is not telling us to hack off body parts or drown ourselves. This is an ancient speaking technique that the rabbis used uh, called hyperbole, where they used a conscious exaggeration to make a point. Yeah, I already know that, okay? But Jesus was not teaching us literally to pluck out our eyes. He was not, uh, but here he's making one strong message. Sin is serious. Sin needs to be ruthlessly dealt with, okay? Sin is more serious than you and I might have guessed, like I said, um, I think most of us here, we think that sin, avoiding sin is important, but do we really think it's that important? Are, are you seeing like, the point of these word pictures? Okay, I believe the enemy has uh, deceived many in the church to think sin just isn't that big a deal. Like, like, like Forgiveness is in God's job description, so I can just keep on sinning. Guys, there's consequences of sin on this planet. Jesus is using the strongest language possible to show us the effects of sin. So here's the dilemma. Either getting drowned isn't that bad, or sin is way worse than we thought. Okay? I don't know about you, but being tied with strong binding ropes, uh, having it attached to a heavy rock, and being pulled to the bottom of the sea and drowning, it sounds bad. Really bad. Having your eyes plucked out, horrendously bad. Horrifically bad. bad okay? If you like your eyeballs, you should be bothered by these verses. The Greek word used in the New Testament for sin, it literally means to miss the mark, okay? Picture like an archery term, to miss the mark, okay? The Bible has to say about, a lot to say about what's on target and what's off target, what's, what's missing the mark, okay? So how serious is it missing the mark? Oh, yeah, this archery analogy, how serious is it? Imagine a man with a taut bow, and he's, he's shooting at the target, and he's missing. 
what would you imagine his mood would be like? Like, like, is he laughing? Is he frustrated? Is he being scolded by his instructor? Is he weeping uncontrollably? Well, all these are possible moods. If you're just goofing around with your friends and you miss, you're, you're probably laughing at it, right? It's hilarious. That's some people's approach to sin. Yeah, they're missing the mark. They're even bragging about how bad, their, how bad their sin was over the weekend, how bad their sin was before Christ. They're laughing about sin. That's some people's mood. If he's in a tournament and the team's pride and he's got the final shot and he misses, boy, the mood's going to be completely different. He might feel shame, might feel guilt, might feel bad about it. Um, what if the target isn't just a piece of paper uh, or on a hay bale? What if the apple's actually balanced on top of somebody's head and you miss? What if that person is his wife that the apple's on top of? They would be weeping uncontrollably, okay? What the Bible is telling us is that the stakes are higher than we've ever thought when it comes to sin. Um, I want you to, uh, so I remember one time, so um, I'm, I'm not much of a hunter. It's probably surprising to you. I know I look like the outdoors type, but <laughs> yeah. It's, I, I say my idea of roughing it is having a, a luxury hotel room facing the woods. And so that's kind of like about, about the roughing I like to get. And so, but when I was younger, I, I, um, I uh, actually got an archery patch at camp, and so my dad got me a bow. And so one of the things you do with a compound bow is you start sighting it in. And so I were at my friend, we're at Dave Fargo's garage. Uh, if any of my high school friends are watching this, we're at Dave Fargo's garage in Taylor, Michigan. And so you, you, know, you pull back the bow. It's kind of hard at first, and then it kind of gets a little bit easier. The, the pulleys do the work. And so the arrow rests on this, uh, on this little arrow rest, you know, so it can go. And there's like these different sights, which you kind of raise up and down to kind of get the target. So we're kind of trying to get in the sights. Well, um, uh, I, I wasn't uh, the physical specimen that I am today back in high school. And so I was uh, basically look like this, but uh, about... 50 pounds lighter. And so um, I, was, I was 6'2", 145, solid muscle. And so, the, um, so we're sighting in the bow, and my arm's getting tired after, after pulling this thing for a while. You know, I mean, I, I don't have a lot of strength, and so I uh, still don't. And so, there were, so we're pulling it in, and so, um, so my arm's getting really tired, and so on this one fortuitous uh, situation, so the, I, I pull it back, and the, the arrow is supposed to be resting on the arrow rest. It gets caught up in the sight. And so now it's like, you know, go skew. And my arm got so tired, I just let it go. The only way I can describe it is it was like that slow motion because there's this giant propane tank off to the side of the garage. And the arrow is heading straight for it. And people are kind of like, you know, we're, I mean, like I'm expecting we're going to blow up the whole garage. And it, has, it makes a direct hit on the propane tank, and we all see the spark. And thank God it did not blow up. Okay, so I mean, that would have been like the story of a lifetime, like, Blowing up your friend's garage that's attached to the house, it would have been really bad, okay? What if sin is missing the mark that can actually blow up your whole life? Okay? Um, what if Jesus' words about sin, they're actually right, and we've been deceived to think it's not that big of a deal for a believer? So today I want to continue our series on Galatians. We're going to look at sin, the flesh, all sorts of good stuff. You guys ready? Yeah. It's not to make you feel bad. It's about to uh, get us free. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. This is the Apostle Paul's words. Uh, but I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. So yeah, here's what a lot of people are doing in, in the charismatic world. This is kind of how I was raised. Is if we could just get rid of all the sin, then we could walk in the Spirit. So it's like if you're good enough, then you can walk in the Spirit. That's like trying to shovel all the darkness out of the room so the light can come in. No, flip on the light, and the darkness leaves. Walk in the Spirit, and you won't step into sin. Don't try to walk, get rid of all the sin so the Spirit can move. How are we doing? I say walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We're going to talk about what the flesh is here in just a second. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other 
to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So this shows me that it's not an exhaustive list. He's like, hey, things, there's other things too. He's just given us an abbreviated list. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But... The fruit of the Spirit, so as you're walking the Spirit, here's the kind of things that are going to be produced in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions, with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Okay? So why is Paul writing to a group of believers who have already died to sin? When you got born again, you died to sin. I don't have a time to do this, but you do not still have a sin nature when you're born again. Yeah, flesh. We're going to see what that is in a second. But uh, you know, growing up, I was told, it's like you got these two natures. It's like these two different dogs. There's like the, the one that if you feed it, it's the good dog that wants to do righteousness. And there's the evil dog if you feed that. It's whichever dog you feed most is the one that dominates. That's a bunch of garbage. Paul said in Romans 6, I think 17 times in chapter 6, you were dead to sin. You died to sin. Dead, died, dead. Like, old man, dead. Okay. Sin's no longer a problem for the believer. It's a result of the problem. You forgot who you were. You forgot. I've got this new nature. I've got a new resource to learn to live out of. Living in the flesh means that you're not living out of those new resources. You're still living in your same human strength. So Paul, Paul, called, um, so Paul tells these people, um, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will, this verse 16, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Okay? Why is he doing this? Because it's possible for people who have access to these new resources to live as if we don't. Okay? It's possible for people who have all the resources of Christ to not live from those resources. That's what flesh is. Flesh is your life apart from divine influence. If you don't want to live from electricity, you can live in the dark. So Paul describes this throughout his letters as life according to the flesh. And it's completely at odds with a life that is according to the spirit. Living out of the resources of heaven and his strength. Okay? So uh, let's look at big picture here. I want to help us to see what sin and flesh is. And then we're going to uh, help us get free from it. Sound good? And I'm going to tell you a crazy story about a rattlesnake at the end. That'll all make sense. Are we doing good? Let's go big picture. What is the meaning of life? Like, man, we are, we're going really big. Yeah, we're going really big, okay? What's the why of us being here, okay? So I want you to think about it. When a when husband and wife get married, out of the overflow of their love, they create children so they can share that environment and, uh, and, uh, and extend their influence. So that's the same with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Before there was time, before there was planets, there was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They had a perfect community. And out of this perfect love, they said, let's create people in our image who can receive our love and express our love to other people. They wanted to have a relationship. Okay? You were literally created for a relationship with God. So we don't just have antennas that can sense God's love. We actually have receivers so we can experience that God, God's love and actually give away that love to other people. Okay? So we're not only able to receive uh, God's love, but we're able to respond to it. Okay? You were created to be dependent on God. Okay? We're going to see the essence of sin is being independent from God. Okay? You were created to be uh, dependent upon God. I want you to picture a gasoline-powered car. It doesn't get very far without any gas. It was created to run on gas. An oil-powered lamp, it was created to run on oil. You were created to run on the Holy Spirit, to be, in, to be in, enlivened, to be energized, 
to have God's life flowing through you and us, uh, and us flowing with him, you were created for that, to be a receiver of the life of God and to represent it to this planet. Now, I'm not talking about we're all supposed to be like monks and just holy men walking around and just thinking about nothing but holy things all day long and like, like or let's just say religious things all day long. Um, when you're out in the secular world, you're still supposed to live from the life of God. It's not like, oh, we got this church life and then we got the rest of the life. No, no. We get to live all of life from the resources of heaven. We get to live according to the spirit when you're parenting, when you are, uh, have a conflict with a coworker, all these type of things. So I want you guys to get this. Sin is not primarily the breaking of the rules. A lot of people, this is shocking. A lot of people think sin is, you should do this, you shouldn't do that. Thou shalt, thou shalt not. That's most people's picture of sin, is just breaking the rules. But sin is primarily a breaking of the love relationship. Throughout scripture, the different pictures of sin is the breaking of a love relationship. We're created to be dependent upon God, uh, drawing, uh, drawing, love, drawing from the love of God, living in the love of God, which is his life. And sin is not breaking of the rules, it's a breaking of the family relationship, okay? So sin is, more like, sin is, is, is less like cheating on a test and more like a, a wife walking into a restaurant and seeing her husband of 25 years kissing another woman, okay? That, that betrayal there, that's the breaking of a relationship. That's what it is to God. It's not him up there, you, oh, you're, you're getting some things wrong on this quiz. It's the breaking, it's the betrayal of a love relationship. Imagine if... Um, when I was in college, I came home from college, and my mom, I just imagine her in the kitchen, and she's got on her red and white checkered apron, and I come down, and I smell, uh, I smell pancakes with fresh raspberries on them, and I come down there, and it's just awesome, and I see she's squeezing the orange juice, uh, making freshly squeezed orange juice. I'm just, I'm just so happy, and as she serves me, and as she bends down to give me a kiss, I spit in her face. And you could just imagine she's sitting there with it dripping off of her face. She would get the apron, and Gently sob into it as she wiped. That's what sin is. Sin is spitting in the face of a parent who's done nothing but love you. When Satan tempted Adam and Eve in Genesis, what was the temptation? You shall be as God. Okay, think of it. God has life of himself. He doesn't need anybody else. Okay, he created us to be dependent. So when the temptation is you will be like God, in other words, you don't need any of his resources. I can't even do the noise. So... Here's what sin is saying. I'm going to cut myself loose from God. I don't need his wisdom. I don't need his life. I don't need his love. I can find all the life I need in myself. I can find all the love I need with myself. I got wisdom without God. I can handle life's problems by myself. That's the essence of sin. I'll be self-sufficient, self-existent. I'll handle this myself. I'll be like God. So when mankind declared their independence from God, when we declared our independence from the source, we would become our own meaning. So listen, we're going to have to create our own sense of meaning. We're supposed to be receiving God's love, representing what he's like on the planet, repopulating the planet with people who look like him, and we're creating this incredible heaven on earth scenario. That's God's plan. Instead, we said, nah, we're not going to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to do the noise again. The, the, here's the, pro- the problem is we can't. We can't create this utopia. We can't create this meaning apart from God. Okay? So let's say we got this electric coffee maker. Okay, what's the purpose of the coffee maker? To make coffee, right? And so let's say that electric coffee maker says, I am choosing to be completely independent from electricity. I don't need this electricity. Right? We say, well, that's that's stupid, right? Yeah, and that's just as stupid as the fall of man. If the coffee maker declares independence from electricity, what are you left with? Okay, Um, the coffee pot can no longer fill its purpose and meaning. It can no longer make coffee. So what's it left with? It's left with the pot. 
And so now the coffee maker is going to try to find meaning and purpose in its potness, okay? Um, instead of the coffee that it was created to make. And so now all the meaning becomes the color of my pot and the size of my pot and the shape of my pot. And everything is about the pot now. You guys get what I'm saying? The meaning of the coffee maker's life is coffee. But if it's not making uh, coffee anymore, it's going to have to try to find its own meaning apart from its, uh, apart from its divine purpose. Without electricity, it just sits there dead, cold, no coffee, trying to find meaning in the pot. When we walked away from the source of electricity, all that we're left with is this container the scripture calls flesh. And so flesh, apart from God, tries to find meaning in its flesh. We try to find meaning in fashion, in houses, and hobbies, and relationships, and the newest cars, and our career, and pleasure, and fitness, and vacations, and notoriety. Something has to give me meaning, the color, the size, the shape of my pot, okay? When, you, when I'm using my pot for something it was never created to do, trying to find meaning in the pot, that's the essence of sin. Silly illustration, but I wrote it down for some reason. Remember in Iron Man 2, in uh, Iron Man, he's, constru- he's trying to create that new element, and he's got all that stuff going on in his, uh, his, um, his laboratory there. And you know, all of a sudden, he's like, ah, this is what I need. And he sees Captain America's shield. And you're like, finally, this is it. And he takes it and uses Captain America's shield just to prop up something to get it level. Like, I mean, you know, Captain America's shield was made for a lot more than just propping something up. That's sin. It's like seeing a group of boys uh, using a Stradivarius violin that was created to play beautiful musical notes, and they're using it for a baseball bat in the schoolyard. And so mankind, what do they do? They feel this emptiness. They know that there's no coffee in the pot, but they just can't put their finger on it. They can't put their finger on what's wrong. Sin is all the ways in which we substitute the reason for our being here. Sin is all the ways that we substitute our reason for being here. I'm here to be a container of God and to express him to this world. And if I substitute another meaning for life, what I'm doing is I'm substituting it, and now I've got this broken relationship with God, and I'm trying to find meaning apart from that. That's what sin is. And worse than that, it's actually death. Here's what uh, God said. In the day that you eat of the tree, that is, the day that you declare your independence from me, you die. Like, like God's just pulling back the curtain and just showing us spiritually what happens here. So why don't you man, there's, imagine there's this branch who's uh, attached to this vine. And there's a, it's this renegade branch, okay? He decides, I'm going to abandon the trunk with its deep roots and all of its resources. And says, you know, he says, who says I got to stay here with the vine? How old-fashioned and limiting is that? And so the revolt of the branches begins. So what do we say about this renegade branch? Oh, it's just being a little bit naughty. It's sowing its wild oats, you know. It just broke the rules. No, it's suicidal. It's idiotic. Apart from the life of the vine, it's going to die. It doesn't matter what kind of spin the branch puts on his new life, how inspiring the marketing campaign is about how great his new life is, he will shrivel up and die, no question. That's what Jesus said sin is like. To sin is to turn away from the source of life, to have no more nourishment, and to try to find nourishment on things that never nourish. It's to unplug from the source of power and electricity and cease to do what you were created for. So again, what is the meaning of life? Well, sin decided that the meaning of life is right here. It's in my flesh. It's in my coffee pot. It's finding meaning in all this stuff around me apart from God. We read at the beginning of Galatians 5 about the works of the flesh. So he gives us this list. Let's go through some of these. Are we doing okay so far? Let's go back to Galatians 5.19, this list of sins. 
He says uh, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. What that means is I'm looking for meaning in my glands, my organs, and my hormones. Okay, it's in my fantasies and my imaginations. All these are a gift from God. When I do them as a gift, as a, apart from God's ways, I'm trying to it become sin because I'm using them uh, to find meaning in my flesh and not in my purpose of God. Listen, guys, God gave us beautiful bodies with gifts, sexual organs, and senses. He gave us all that. Uh, but when we turn it on its head, when we seek meaning apart from God. Uh, the next one is idolatry. This is seeking meaning, life, or happiness in another person or in something that was created when it can only come from God. Okay, so I'm putting something out there. I'm saying, ah, this is going to give me life. This is going to give me significance. This is going to give me meaning. And, um, and God's like, no, no, that comes from me alone. Like, you don't get your self-worth from your net worth. You get your self-worth because of who your dad is. Because you're created in his image, right? Sin is saying, I have to have this person because they will bring meaning to me. They complete me. Listen, guys, if, uh, if, if you're not complete before uh, you get married, it's going to be like two fleas trying to get their needs met off of each other. They see something on TV or online, and they say, I've got to have that. I can't live without that position in that company. I have to have that degree. I can't live without the degree. I must have that honor. I must, I must. Because uh, whatever that is, it's going to give me meaning. It's going to give me purpose. I'm gonna, it's going to make me feel better, right? Even a worthy goal, something that's not sin, can become sin if you place it above God. I can try to find meaning from that. It becomes sin. So let's just say um, like, like, like God gave me a gift of teaching. It was, it was not very apparent for a while, but um, uh, I'm a teacher. If I forget that it's a gift from God and I begin to find my meaning in this, and if people don't give me compliments, I begin to feel bad and all these things. I, I begin getting my self-esteem. I remember... Um, well, Mary and I, I think it was 2005, the Lord called us out of the church world and uh, called us kind of in this wilderness time. So we're doing real estate in Michigan, the God-forsaken frozen tundra of Michigan. So we're up there, and, um, and I never thought I had my identity in being a pastor. I like, never like, made people call me pastor. It, just never, it was never like a big deal to me, except when it was gone. And once it was gone, there was no one saying, hey, great message. No one looking at me as important. I was just kind of a, just a nobody in, uh, in the middle of the wilderness here. And uh, I found out, you know what, that gift that God had given me, it had actually become sin because I allowed it to have a place in my life that was never intended. Next on the list is sorcery, when you're turning away from God and turning towards the demonic. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. What's that? These are reactions when somebody takes from me what I believe to be the meaning of life. Sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. Something that I have treasured as my meaning and my purpose. Now someone comes and takes it away from me. This is my reaction to you taking away my meaning and my purpose. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions. These are all conflicts that arise out of the meaning of life. You've got husbands and wives who disagree about what's the most important things. There's continual conflict because they're trying to figure out what's the meaning of life. My needs, this and that, this and that. And it's like, no, no, no. You've got to get it from God. Envy. Uh, this is when someone else appears to have found the meaning of life, and they look happy. Now, I want what they've got. Of course, we always find someone who seems to find what I want, and so our response is envy. Are we doing okay? Next one, drunkenness and orgies. These are Paul's last expressions. This is when you've given up. You've given up on finding meaning of life, so with drunkenness, the meaning of life becomes unconsciousness. I want to get into oblivion. I want to unfeel. I want to forget. Orgies, I just want to feel pleasure. And you're like, Jim, listen, I'm born again. How does this affect believers here? 
Um, how many of you notice that believers still sin after they are born again? Has anyone noticed that, that sin still happens? In, I mean, other people, like the church down the street. I'm not talking about Zion here. But. For Paul, the flesh is primarily describing every part of you, every uh, desire, emotion, thought, action, everything that's not directly under the control of the Holy Spirit. It's got this container. So the, you, you died to sin, but we've still got this container that is being renewed by our mind. And as we get it renewed, our desires, our emotions, our thoughts, they come into alignment with God. But those parts that haven't come under that yet, the Bible calls the flesh. And has a different kind of desire from the Holy Spirit. You were born again, you became dead to sin. The reason you now feel a desire or drawing towards sin is not because your old nature compels you to sin, but you're still feeling the effects of that old man that has not been renewed. So think of it like a computer, okay? Um, uh, like a computer. So before Christ, you were programmed by the old nature to be lustful, to be angry, to be greedy, to be angry quickly, right? And so um, now that you're born again, your computer can still function under the old programming, right? You have to do a software update. You have to, you have to begin to uh, renew your mind and think differently. Then you'll begin to have those things be automatic responses of the kingdom. Remember when you first learned to drive? I don't know about you, but I was like conscious of everything, where my hands were, the speed, I'm checking the mirrors, like, 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 like everything like was on high alert all the time. And after you do it for a while, it becomes automatic. It becomes unconscious, right? You're able to easily do it. Some of you are able to talk on the phone and put on makeup. I don't even want to talk about all this stuff. <laughs> but your, my, my mind and your mind have been reprogrammed to drive naturally, Right? And you can mistakenly think that, oh, it's just, it's, it, because it comes so naturally, it's your nature. No, no, no. It was something that was taught and that was acquired. Same with the kingdom of God. Same with the things of the spirit. Is they can become such second nature that you think that, uh, that, you, think that you didn't learn them. But we actually have to learn these things through the renewing of the mind. The reason that we now sin is not because, our, uh, because of our nature, we, uh, because we have no choice in these things. We're acting out of old programming that's left over from our old nature. You won't fully understand the good news of Jesus until you uh, understand all that he has saved you from, right? I'm going to close with this thought. So I'm like, thank goodness, talk about something else. I want to, I'm going to draw this picture for you, then I'm going to tell you a story. Sin is like opening the door of your bedroom to a rattlesnake and shutting the door and going to sleep. That's not that big a deal, Right? Satan's uh, pictured like a serpent, okay? So I don't know about you, like a snake comes in my house, we're selling the house. Like I'm like, like just <laughs> go to a hotel, someone else can deal with it. So my dad, uh, when we lived in Kentucky, he had this secretary, and she was quite a woman. And so uh, her husband went away. Uh, he was on, like on some kind of trip. And so she's there in the house alone, and the dog is just going absolutely crazy, like barking. And so she said, what is going on? He just went out, he's barking at this one bedroom in the closet. So she opens it up, there's a rattlesnake inside the closet. And so, again, my reaction would be, honey, we're moving. We're done with this place. So what she does is she goes and uh, she gets her husband's shotgun, but she's never shot the shotgun before. So, so, so she loads it up with a shotgun shell. She goes outside, and she's trying to practice uh, hitting, like, some bottles or something like that, and it's all over the place. So then she gets a stack of books. She thinks if she steadies it on, I mean, can you imagine all this? So she, uh, she gets a stack of books, and so she puts the gun on the books, and she notices she's able to be more accurate with it, with it on the books. So now she's got the stack of books in one hand. She's got the uh, shotgun in the other. She goes back to the room, and the snake's not there. So now she's going room to room uh, doing it, and so she finds it in her bedroom closet now. 
Okay, and so she gets us. She's trying to set up the books. And as she's setting up the books, the snake is lunging at her. So she goes to the kitchen and gets a frying pan. So now the books are stacked up. She's got the gun that she's setting up. And as the, uh, the snake is lunging, ting, she's blocking the snake's lunging with the frying pan. Still trying to set this thing up. Ting, trying to get her again. Shoots the first time, blows a hole in the wall and misses it. Shoots the second time, blows a hole in the floor and misses it. Kills it the third time. That's quite a woman. Now listen, we started off those verses where Jesus talked about sin. He says it's better to pluck out your eye. Better to chop off your hand. Better to be drowned than for, to sin or to cause someone to sin. Here's the point. Deal ruthlessly with sin. Okay? We must perform radical surgery on everything that defiles us or drags us down. And guys, if there's a snake in your house, if there's a, if there's a rattlesnake in your house, do something about it. Don't just go to sleep like it's nothing. Some of you are here today and you're saying, Jim, I've been in sin so long, it's getting out of control. i got some good news for you. Jesus came looking for people just like you. He actually loves to love us. One of his descriptions of God is he delights to show mercy. He's not out there like, let's see how good you are. No, no, no. Mercy and forgiveness was his idea. If you sin, the Lord wants you to come to him in repentance. I love what um, Acts 3.19 says. Repent that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. I want you to come not so you can grovel. Like he, he already forgave all your sins 2,000 years ago on the cross. But when you repent, you get to experience it. And so imagine like uh, when your kids are little, you're not like remaining angry at them until they come and they beg for mercy. And then, no, 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 no. Like I imagine most parents, you've already forgiven your kids in their heart. But when they come and say, I'm sorry, they get to experience the hug that was already in your heart the whole time. That's what repentance is. God already forgave your sins 2,000 years ago. But when we come and repent, we have those times of refreshing where it becomes real to us all over again. That's repentance. Well, Jim, what if I keep on blowing it? Listen, God would rather have your sincere voice of repentance, even if repentance needs to go much deeper as you're going through this, than to not hear your voice at all. God's not looking for an excuse to get rid of you. He doesn't have a rundown shack on the outskirts of heaven waiting for you. You are his beloved. Well, Jim, if sin's such a big deal, shouldn't I feel condemned all the time? No, you shouldn't. Listen to the other messages. You've been free from all that. But as God points out sin, we come to him and he deals with it. Okay? If, if God's dealing with it, you don't need to walk around shamed. Listen, if you're dirty, come take a bath. <laughs> don't walk around. I'm so dirty. Shower's running. I'm so filthy. Shower's running. Go get in the shower. Experience it. It's been running since for 2,000 years. Some of you have unconfessed sin, still, sin you're still participating, and maybe God's convicting you right now of it. And you're saying, listen, I, I don't even want this anymore. I didn't realize how bad it is. It's taking me farther than I want to go. And I just encourage you, humble yourself. Confess your sins. God, I, I've been doing this. Here's what confess means. It means to agree with. So picture like an elevator when it, uh, you know, it's here, and when it comes into alignment with the floor it's supposed to be on, that's confession. It's like an accounting term where, it, where everything is reconciled. So to confess sin means to say the same thing God says. It's like, God, this is wrong, but you know what? You completely forgave me. I'm washed in this. It's the grace of God that teaches you to say no to sin. If you want to be free from sin, listen to the first three messages on Galatians. See the grace of God. See what he's done for you. And you look upon that and you say, wow, I'm free from that. When you begin to feel your potness, when you begin to feel that anger and rivalry and sexual tension and all, all these type of things, it's not to go, oh, i got to try harder. No, 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 no. You come to him in your weakness. The Bible says when you're weak, that's when his grace is made perfect in weakness. That's when we come and say, God, I'm feeling weak right now. 
I need your help. And you have confidence that he's going to give you strength in time of need. So here's what I want to do is um, I want us to just, uh, just have a time of prayer. We're not going to call people forward. We're not going to embarrass anybody. But if the Lord's highlighting something to you, maybe it's a known sin. You're like, Jim, I know exactly what you're talking about. And uh, maybe you thought it was okay, but uh, maybe the Holy Spirit is just prompting you today. Like, you know what? I, you, need to, you need to let this thing go. Uh, maybe there's some people in here with addictions. Uh, one of the things I love about what Jesus came to do is says he came to set the captive free. Man, that's really good news. And so I don't care if you've been addicted for 40 years. I don't care if you're listening online, you've been addicted for 43 years. I just felt like I needed to say that. Um, Jesus came to set the captive free. And it can be as instantaneous as, uh, as the resetting of a broken bone or of a tumor dissolving or of you being completely forgiven. So here's what I want to do. I want us to stand up, and we're going uh, to close in prayer here. In case you missed the point of the message, you fell asleep, your mind wandered, you're, uh, you're bitter about that table tennis video, whatever the thing might be. <laughs> the point of the message is sin is still stupid. You're under grace, but we don't need to walk around in condemnation, but when the Holy Spirit's highlighting something to you, we need to, we need to get rid of it. Because there are consequences in this life. You tell lies, people aren't going to trust you. You steal something, you're going to go to jail. God's going to love you in jail. Okay, sin is still stupid, but he still loves us when we're stupid. Okay? And so, um, Holy Spirit, we love you. We thank you for the blood of Jesus that washes us from every sin. And so I pray right now that you will highlight some things to, to me, to everybody in here, everybody listening, that we need to give over to you. And uh, Lord, we don't want these anymore. We don't want to be that branch that's leaving the, uh, leaving the vine. We don't want to be the, uh, the, the, any, any of those pictures. We don't want to break relationship. We see we want our meaning for how we were created, Lord, to receive your love, to walk in your spirit, the love, the joy, the peace. Lord, we want that. We don't want the other. And so I pray for a grace right now to say no to sin. When people see they don't have to let go of this in their own strength, that they can find meaning in you, that they don't have to go after this emptiness. I pray for a grace. I'm just going to pause right now and just you in your own, in own words with God. You, you don't have to say anything out loud, but just, Lord, I, I turn from this. I repent. I, I need your help and ask for forgiveness. And uh, we're expecting some freedom to happen. So I'm just going to pause here and let you do that. Lord, we just thank you for no condemnation, no shame. Like Sean was praying, no more looking in the rearview mirror, getting defined from our past mistakes. Lord, I thank you that you take our worst mistakes and weave them into your perfect plan. And I just thank you for the grace of God that teaches us to say no. And if people keep stumbling, Lord, I thank you that we can keep coming back and renewing our mind and uh, reprogramming it. I speak freedom over us as a people in the name of Jesus. Amen. Real quick, um...